0: He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. Today is that first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of Hope. Usually afterwards we'll talk about preparation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about the joy our Lord gives, and we'll talk about the love He has for us as well. But today we look at hope and uh, our expectation and eagerness for for what God is doing and and how He indeed helps us during these moments. I want to begin by reading to you from Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter thirteen, verse uh, eleven to thirteen, Paul has just uh, spoken about how they're to love one another, how they're supposed to act out of accordance of what is happening uh, around them today, and how they're going to love and respect each other despite what is happening today. and And he takes a little turn in these last couple verses to uh, uh, the catalyst for this love, the catalyst for their exercise of faith is going to be their expectation, their hope, their future. Let's read Romans chapter thirteen, verse eleven. 13. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Not in reveling, drunkenness, not in debauchery and license, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's this season that uh, we start to think. About Christmas. We start to make some preparations. The sanctuary has been adorned with uh, uh, everything that goes with it uh, from the Christmas tree, the Advent wreath, the poinsettias, uh, the lights, the the, the, the window uh, decorations, everything. The manger scene and the manger scene outside already has started to be placed. We are already getting ready and gearing for Christmas. Some of us have already begun shopping. Some of us perhaps went out, braved the crowds on Friday. Or maybe some of us are just looking forward to tomorrow, Cyber Monday, when we can just shop from the comfort and warmth of our own home. But the music has already started playing on the radio. Thanksgiving Day, we, we, we had the station on and we could hear some of the music playing. And, uh, and it's just a matter of time before our favorite shows that we want to watch start to show on TV. And we find, find ourselves, well, what Christmas shows are we going to watch this year? Is it going to be the same one we watch every year or is it going to be something different? But there is always something about those movies, right, that we like to watch. What, what, What goes into a Christmas movie that makes it what it is? Because a Christmas movie surely is more than just, well, it takes place in December. There's always an element to it, right? There's always hope. There's always love. There's always family, whether it's family gathered or family discovered. Oftentimes there's miracles. Sometimes there's Santa Claus. Usually there is the overcoming of, of, of something that is happening to that main character. The overcoming of, of poverty or tragedy or loneliness or illness or any number of trials because of the power of hope in that character or in that story. And that Christmas story always just kind of tugs at our hearts. Because I, we recognize hope is an amazing thing. We need hope in the midst of trying times. Uh, when Romans was written and Paul was talking to the church, he knew they needed hope. For, for, for them, uh, they had just gathered together again finally in the city of Rome. Because at the time when this was written, they were just allowed back into the city. There was a period of time where they were kicked out. For like six years, they were kicked out and then finally came back later on in in the book. He's actually going to talk about a couple people who have returned. And so there's this understanding of, hey, we've come back and tried to get back into our homes, but no one trusts us, no one likes us, the Christian faith is not revealed, uh, is not... uh, uh, is really not respected in any way. And just before this passage we read, Romans 13 is that classic kind of respect, all authority instituted among men. Uh, and that, that that passage is a passage that's more than just, you know, root for the person that's in charge. It is that authority is going to act against you, but we're not insurrectionists. Respect the authority that's been instituted. It, it is a bold claim, and yet Paul calls and writes to them because they need, they, he knows they need hope. And so when he says, now is the moment, at the beginning of a reading, now is the moment for you to awake, for you to throw off the darkness. He is speaking to a church saying, now is the time, making them well aware. He knows what they are going through. And that uh, th- yet God has a purpose and a place for them for this specific moment. And we know what Paul means for the church. And I think Paul's words to the church, of course, speak to us today as well, because we know that in our own times, we are facing things as well. We live in our own kind of hard times as well. We, we understand that the world still has its own darkness that surrounds us. I mean, today, we still can't talk about life without talking about how that COVID season affected us. It may be people we've lost. It may be restrictions that some places still hold. It may, be, uh, it may be any number of various ways in which we've been affected in mind and body over the past few years. For Paul, when he speaks about hard times, he's saying to the church, despite what happens and how things seem to be getting disrupted, we look at our world with a different lens than everyone else. We will dare to be a people of hope. Dare to look at it with the understanding that God is still at work here. The early church was well aware of sin and suffering in the world. And, we are, and they were also aware of the power of the Holy Spirit, though, to, and the power of the resurrection of Christ in their lives to deliver them from sin and to help them in the midst of suffering. And presently, we are aware of it as well. Even though a couple thousand years separate us from the early church, we are well acquainted with sin and suffering in our world too. We know that the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Christ also is present in our lives today as well and here within the community of faith. And that makes all the difference. We, like the early church, are living In this moment, where we are aware of how dark things are around us, but yet there is the light of hope. And because there is the light of hope, Paul says, it is time to wake up, to cast aside the darkness. Paul uses this image of waking up, which is a term used throughout the New Testament. Oftentimes, uh, this term of being asleep or being awake is a term to talk about those who aren't following Christ or to talk about those who are living in the power of the resurrection. And I like that, this idea that when Paul says, hey, we're to wake up, throw, throw aside the uh, the darkness that, that, that causes us to go to sleep, this, this idea that he might have the resurrection in mind, a lot of times in the New Testament, when he talks about Christians who are asleep, it's because he knows there's a resurrection, that those who have died do not stay in that mode permanently There is a resurrection and there is a hope and there is a future. It is as if asleep. We are people who live in expectation of God working and redeeming and living among us. We are not dead. We are not dying. The darkness does not win. The light of Christ is dawning and there is hope. One of the ways in which um, people are always surprised when they see how I sleep is that uh, it is in a way that maximizes darkness for me. A couple months ago, I got to uh, be a part of a um, pastor's uh, group working with people who are getting ready for ordination and all that. And so it was a couple-day event. And so uh, uh, overnight, they put us up in uh, some different rooms where people had opened up their homes um, uh, in this area in Maine. And, and we got to stay there. And I got to a room with a fellow pastor. And he got to see one of the strange ways in which I sleep. <laughs> and that is I sleep with a pillow over my face. (laughs) Just, boom, pillow over my face. And and, and people are always shocked when they notice. Wait, don't you have a hard time breathing? When I first did that, when uh, my wife and I were married, she'd be like, you're going to suffocate. But no, no, you see, I have been blessed with a long and pointed nose. <laughs> and so, so it just kind of holds that pillow up just enough <laughs> that the air can get in and I can breathe. And so with this thick pillow, with a dark pillowcase over my face, it cuts out a lot of the light. And sometimes I don't realize, if my phone's alarm doesn't go off, just how late in the morning it might be. And so Alex might come in, because he's gotten up to get ready to catch the bus. True, he says. He might come in, and he knows he, he knows to get me up. He just takes that pillow, and he rips it off my face. He just casts that aside. Gen too. oh, Tim, you've got to get up. Uh, Alex's got to catch the bus. I'm going off. Over. Cast that pillow aside, and all of a sudden, all the light comes flooding in. That is uh, a way that starts to get me moving. And usually, of course, I'm like, no, no, I can't stand it. It's the light. No, no, uh, let me be cozy in my darkness. Let me stay in the warmth of my darkness. Let me return to my dreams. It's amazing how sometimes darkness comes off as real comfortable, <laughs> real cozy. That seems weird to say, doesn't it? Darkness, not certainly not the darkness Paul is talking about, right? No, no, we, we, we don't ever get comfortable and What is happening around us that isn't right, do we? When I was a child, I had a a newspaper route. And uh, that's when they still let kids do that. And I had, uh, and I put on this big old thing on my shoulders with big old pouches in the front and back, and we load like 50 pounds of newspapers, and I remember like uh, walking down the block. Uh, The first couple blocks were always the hardest because that's when it was the heaviest, but at the end at least it lightened up. Uh, but I remember, because I had this paper, I would often look at the papers. And I learned, a, I learned something very quickly by, by looking at those and seeing those front-page stories. What I learned was this. As a kid, I learned, if the title of the article had a question mark, if the title of the article had a question mark, the author didn't know the answer. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So if they title was with something like... Uh, Will the mayor do X, Y, or Z? They didn't know, they were just hypothesizing. Will sports team trade so and so? They don't know, they're just talking about the possibilities. Anytime there's a question mark, they didn't know the answer. They had maybe some people they interviewed and stuff to give them reason to doubt or reason to ask this question, but if there was a question mark, they didn't know the answer. But yet that question mark got people's attention because people found themselves, oh, I want to know the answer to that question. But if they knew the answer, they would have just said, so-and-so did this. <laughs> but if they don't know, they put a question mark. And it's very easy when looking at that to go, oh, man, well, that's just what media does. Or that's just, that's just what corporations do. But I have been founding that that happens among individuals as well. People who have a YouTube channel, they have better YouTube channels if they put a question mark. People who have a Twitter, if they just pose a question, people, that, that kind of riles up and, and gets us going, yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of concerned about that too. I'm, I'm worried about that as well. All of a sudden, it's, all of a sudden we realize, oh, more people are interested in that. It's amazing how fear sells we find, indeed, that there's a certain kind of comfort in saying, oh, your fear is the same as my fear. Or, oh, maybe it's as bad as you say, but for right now, it's not so bad. And we realize that it's not just clickbait. It's it's that, sometimes it's negativity. Is so-and-so gonna do this? And we realize that they're not just selling what they know, they're selling what we don't know. (laughs) And that's what counts. Let the doubts and the questions arise. And you'll have people eating out of the palm of your hand. It's weird how we get comfortable in our own little fears. It's like like a child who's convinced there's a monster under their bed. What do they do? They hide under the blankets. You would think they'd run screaming from the room to their parents' room. But no, it's, it's hiding. Oh, it's close, but it's not right here. I'll just... I'll just huddle up knowing it's at least somewhere else. And that's what it's like for those. And so we find ourselves, like, like I could imagine, that we, we have a YouTube channel where we post the sermon every week. Imagine if we change the title from Let Us Adore Him Hope to can we hope in times like these? Like, like all of a sudden, like it just got became, you know, and then we can change the background image, right, to like an exploding church or something like that. Maybe a close-up of a picture going, oh, you know, like, like it'd, be great, it'd be great. And so like, like we have these kind of like fear cells. We, we find ourselves saying, okay, if, if I can just look at how bad things are. Let's say, like the whole world's a train wreck and we just want to be like, yes, but it's not my train wreck or my train wreck's not as bad as theirs. And so Paul says to a church who's saying, yeah, we know things are terrible. He's saying, we want to throw off the works of darkness. We want to dare to live in a different mindset. To throw off the darkness is to say, hey, my eyes aren't just on how things are falling apart. To put on the armor of light this Advent season is to dare to live as people of hope. And I think sometimes when we talk about hope and we think about hope, we think of hope as something that happens to us. We have hope on good, we have hope on good days. We have hope if we had a good upbringing. We have hope when, when things just work out. But I think that's kind of an entirely false view of what hope is. What if hope has nothing to do with chance or with luck or fortune or just things working out? What if hope is always a gift given to those who precisely don't have anything going for them. You know, like the people of Israel to whom are given a Messiah, a reason to say, hey, there's a God who hasn't forgotten you and is still with you. Funny, isn't it, that the appeal of so many of the holiday movies that we'll be enjoying is that this so-called Christmas spirit or these seasonal miracles always seem to happen to those who have no reason to hope, yet still somehow they still have it in the midst of whatever is going on. And we love that. And that's what makes them holiday classics. It's what makes us wonder if, this, if the newest one that came out is going to continue to be played again and again. It's because in this season, we like to remember that we are often people who have every reason to say, oh, there's too much darkness. Let me pull that pillow back over my eyes. Let me live a little longer in the, in the ways of darkness. What, what if this Advent season we need to hear again that there is something worth believing in, that there is a God who isn't finished with us yet, a God who's still at work, a God who likes to meet us in our darkest moments and says, follow me, and even says, let me carry you if I must. I will be with you. And we can be a people of hope hearing that then Paul suggests, well, won't it change who we are and how we act? Won't it, won't it affect our behaviors? Won't we find that we don't have to succumb to the ways of the world? The lies of, oh, it's all about me and my pleasures, all, or it's all about making sure your train wreck's worse than my train wreck. We find that, indeed, hope doesn't have to just lead to greed or lead to taking advantage of others, but hope can lead to a kind of love and appreciation for one another that we often long for during this season. And so we long for God to do something new. That this time, that, this, that, that we will be a people who, not just for this season, but for our, our entire lives, will, will look at and appreciate this world and the people in it more than we normally do. That, and we pray earnestly for God's work in the midst of those moments and those fears and those doubts and that darkness. And to be a people of hope, it's, it's not a vain hope. It's not a generic hope. And it's not hope for optimism's sake, right? It's not not just, oh, I just want to be a more positive or optimistic person. Hope is not found in optimism. No, the people of Rome, the people of God throughout the Scriptures often had no reason to be optimistic. It is hope found particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. To see that God has loved even one so forsaken, so forgotten, a crucified Galilean peasant from nowhere, from no What? We're following a religion that's 2,000 years old? Aren't we more advanced now? (laughs) But yet we find our God enters into those darkest moments, those darkest places. Indeed, when he enters into our time, enters into one such as Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And the love of this God raised that one from the dead. And the one who is most crucified, most abandoned, most hopeless is the one to whom God's grace is extended. And that becomes the ground and foundation of our hope. That in the midst of our worst, the midst where we, in the middle of us saying, God, why have you left me? Where are you? I can't hear a word. We find it echoed in the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have found that that God has nonetheless breathed life into that one and desires to bring, breathe life into us as well. That we find that even in the midst of that place, of that darkness, love abides And the Holy Spirit is working and whispering our souls, beckoning us towards our Heavenly Father. And so, we'll continue to long for, we'll continue to pray to the God who has been faithful. The God who redeems the forsaken. The God who remembers the forgotten. The God who releases and liberates the enslaved. The God who calls sons and daughters those who have been despised and brings hope and says... You have a plan and a purpose and a future and a place. And so this season and this Sunday, we remember our hope is grounded and a God who has entered into our world and says, yes, even this world, even these people, I have a place and a future and a promise. And it's to him that we turn, knowing that he will be with us and he will guide us along the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into this season. I think sometimes when we come into the Christmas season, we come kind of trepidatiously. (laughs) We come uh, nervous. Is it really Christmas time already? Am I really able to dive into a season of hope, of expectation, of, of joy? Sometimes, Heavenly Father, it's hard to enter into a season like this because of things that have happened. And yet, Heavenly Father, I'm reminded it is precisely into such things that you have entered into time and time again when you've delivered your people Israel from slavery, when you sent Jesus Christ into a world that would crucify Him, when you were with a church in Rome wondering how are we going to make it, yet nonetheless, the hope of your promise and your future shown and grounded in Jesus Christ. Lord, we find ourselves saying, Yes, to this we turn in those moments and find that indeed you have been faithful, you have loved, and you will continue to do so. And our hope will remain in you. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning, help us turn our lives to you. As Paul has said, that we're not going to turn to the ways of the world, the ways of our past, but Heavenly Father to say we want each day to be lived in the hope of your promise, in your eternity, and in your future. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve Him today.